everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Transparent VC, brought to you by Funders Club, where we aim to shed light on the black box of venture capital. Funders Club is an early-stage VC that's invested in over 200 companies in the past four years. We've seen hundreds of deals and talked to over 10,000 companies over the past four years, and we've seen situations, both good and bad. While most of the time things go well, We've seen a lot of misalignment between investors and founders and when things go terribly wrong. Today, I'm here with the venture team. We have Jared Engelberg. Hello. Pedro Soren. How's it going? Myself, Kevin Lee. And we're here to discuss some of the frameworks, some of the bad experiences we've seen, and how to fix them. Jared, why don't we uh, take it away with some situations that you've seen in the past. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, glad to be doing this podcast. It is long overdue. Very excited to share some of the things that we've learned with the outside world. Also, would love your feedback. Uh, if you want to hit us up, Twitter, Facebook, anything you can find us. We'd love to hear your stories as well. Um, high level, we just wanted to share some thoughts that we had seen play out through, as Kevin mentioned, these hundreds of deals. At the end of the day, uh, what we're really going to be talking about are your relationships with your investors and how the legal documents that you sign govern those relationships. So the most important question as you're entering into this crazy world of founding a company is which investors do you want to work with and why? Uh, the legal documents that you sign are only going to be as good as the relationships that you hold with the investors. Uh, but we've also seen places where legal documents can drive deals wrong. So again, step one, find investors that you want to work with. Two, engage in legal documents for your investment that align yourself with your investors for the next round and beyond. Can we have like a step zero? Even like as you approach any round of financing, just remember that there's no divorce from a cap table. It's the only type of marriage that there's no divorce. Very Think true. about that first. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, you will, be, you will be with your investors through thick and thin no matter what, what you want. Uh, and so... With that lens, uh, the reason that we say align with your investors for the next round and beyond, we're really focusing on the companies that have taken off, right? You wouldn't be founding a venture-backed company uh, unless you really had aspirations to grow this thing to a very massive scale, which is awesome. That's why we do what we do. We love working with founders. Um, not all founders raise VC, uh, venture, venture funding, and that's totally cool too. But if you are, your aspirations are probably uh, globe-changing. And so... It, to that lens, we, where we've seen things really go off the rails or some of the bad examples we're going to walk through is we want to focus on the deals where things were going well in the company, but the agreements that were made with, with the investors actually led the company astray. And that's the most painful for us, right? Because companies can, can die or get hurt for many reasons, but the thing that kills me on the inside is, is when the business was going well, but something about the structure you know, the documentation was off, right? Uh, that's, that's the outcome we really want to help you avoid. Uh, today, so kind of with that, with that framework and structure in place, let's jump into examples. Pedro, you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, like one thing that we were discussing right, like before uh, before our conversation, we just started recording the, the, the podcast was that the shit scenarios are an exception, right? So that's something also to just keep in mind. Yeah, it's you know you as a, if you're a founder and you're listening to this, right? These are just things that we've seen happen with companies that we've been involved and. Um, 
so yeah just watch watch out for that we secretly have uh, like a blacklist of people that we are not interested in working with uh, and of course we're not going to share that but we do have a list of people that have been uh, you know just very hostile towards founders which is the opposite of like how we see things so I think that the first provision that I uh, that I've I've seen uh, happening uh, since I've been here for like a year and a half I've seen it happen twice is what you know super pro rata. So it sounds great, right? It sounds like that type of thing is like a sexy term on your term sheet. You're like, oh my god, this is great, super. Yeah. Uh, but typically can put the business in interesting situations in like the next round of financing. So maybe we take, yeah, that's that, that, Jared, yeah. Jared, for some of our listeners who don't know the difference between. Or even don't know what a pro rata is. Can you kind of walk through the differences between a pro rata and a super pro rata? Sure. So uh, a pro rata agreement in a round of financing is the right for an investor to invest in the future to maintain their ownership, right? So if let's say I invested in your company and I purchased 5% of the business. At the next round of financing, uh, let's say a new investor is coming in, my ownership, my 5% ownership will get diluted by the new primary issuance by the new equity round, right? However, uh, I may decide as an investor that I want to maintain my ownership in the company, right? Like I want to keep that 5% as the company grows and scales, and that's really important to me. And so I'm actually allowed to invest to maintain my ownership. It's not free. I still have to pay the same price everyone else is paying to buy more shares, but I have the right to at least buy those shares and maintain that ownership. The beauty of a pro rata, uh, again, with this idea of aligning with investors, as an early investor, I feel like I have alignment with the company because there's no trade-off for me, right? Uh, this new round of financing that you're raising, it's good for the company, presumably, or else you probably wouldn't be raising it. And I don't have to worry about dilution. So if you put yourself in the shoes or the mind of the investor, you don't want your investor to be like, oof, well, this looks like a great new equity round. Keep in mind that your early investors will have to sign off on your pursuant financing rounds and your next rounds. You don't want your early investor to say, oh, this looks like a great financing round, but I'm really worried about the dilution. Right? You want to take any kind of um, possible concerns that an investor has out of their mind. So Prorata is a really effective tool to, to kind of align that investor at the next stage. That's and, where Prorata came from. And maintain also skin in the game. Right. I think that uh, not every firm works at the volume of deals that we do, but it's so important, right? Like At least so we have that intrinsic motivation. Like... We'll work for everyone, but if we can maintain our ownership, is extremely uh, you know important. Yeah, that's a great point, Pedro. So, so super pro rata. You, you, if you receive this in your term sheet, especially at the seed stage, as Pedro was pointing out, it could be pretty flattering, right? It's like, oh my god, it's like, super. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, because the investor is basically saying uh, to explain, to take a step back. Super pro rata means uh, that the investor has the right to invest more than their ownership. Again, going back to this basic example. Let's say I bought 5% of your company. If I tried to issue a super pro rata term, that would mean that I, in the next round of financing, I actually have the option to increase my ownership. So, so to buy more than just to maintain my ownership. So my ownership of the next round might go from 5% to 7% or 10%. And, and by the way, you might actually choose to have your earlier investors invest more than, than they invested before. But in this case, the important part is that it's a right that the early investors have. So you won't be able to raise that next round until that early investor says, I want to execute my super pro rata or not. So it's flattering because it sounds like, oh, these guys are really bullish on me, right? The guys or girls are really bullish on me. 
they just want to be able to invest more at the next round. And that's how they sell it to you. That's They're just like, we trust you, right? Like, we believe that you're going to be kicking so much ass that, like, we want to be able to invest even more in you in the future. And maybe maybe you think that, like, that's a good thing because you're like, oh, I have capital, like, guaranteed. Yes. Uh, but it could really hurt you in some ways uh, if, for instance, you have a very competitive round and you're changing investors for whatever reason. Yes. Yeah, again, put yourself in the mind... Uh, of that next round thinking that your company is absolutely killing it and that you're going to have more capital that wants to buy your shares than you have shares to sell, right? In that world, a super pro rata term can be hurtful because you may want to sell shares to investors uh, outside of your previous investors, but they themselves, right, like those early investors, like, sorry, I have I have the right to let's buy however much of this round, right? It kills. So, oh, sorry. So, Jared, I mean, it, it sounds like you've seen a few situations where perhaps follow-on rounds have been held at a standstill, or there's been an obstacle because previous investors just they needed time to kind of think through their super pro rata. How can a founder kind of navigate through this, or even prevent this from happening in the first place? So, I, our overarching advice is do not sign super pro rata terms. If you take one thing away from that, do not sign super pro rata terms. That being said, if you have signed a super pro-rata term, uh, the, the plea that you should be basically be making to your early investors, and in some sense it is a plea because they do hold this legal right, is listen, early investor, let's build something great together. And to do that, we need to take on this new capital from this new investor. You holding the super pro-rata right over our head, right, not refusing to let this new capital in necessarily, actually is hurting the company, right? It's hurting the options of the investors that we can raise from. And so if we're, if we're in this together, early investor, if we're going to really make this thing happen, you may have to walk away from the super parada, right, to bring in this new capital to the table that we both know can help the company grow. And the most important thing is that for you, right, like as the founder, it puts you in a position of optionality. You want to come out for your next round in a position of strength, and you want to be able to make the choices that you want without being held a gun to your head saying, no, 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 you don't have no choice. Either you get more dilution or you, you have to take my money. The typical founders that I see that accept a super pro rata uh, provision, um, it's a combination of ignorance. Like they've never done like a price equity round before. They actually think that because of the name, it's a good thing. It's almost like pro rata. Or they think it's pro rata. They don't understand the difference. Uh, and also, it's typically with like markets that have a scarcity of capital, mm-hmm. meaning that the founder is so afraid that he's not going to be able to raise that next round that he's okay with that provision. He sees it as a positive thing because that VC sold him like that. And I think that the situations where we've seen that that can actually generate very negative conflicts is when, uh, for instance, with you know foreign founders, right? Like something that we, we work with a lot here at Funders Club. Maybe they raise from like local VCs with a super parada provision. They come here to the Bay Area and then they raise like a super competitive round with tier one venture guys. But then the founder can't take all the money that he wants to take yes. because of that provision. Yes. So that's a, an example of like when it could go really bad. I'm assuming we also see certain situations of a signaling risk where an initial investor chooses not to exercise a super parada and it sends a terrible signal to future investors coming into this follow on round. Definitely, definitely possible as well. Because yeah, if you could increase your ownership stake in a great company, why wouldn't you? Maybe maybe you don't have the money, that's doable, yeah. but for most likely that, that, that's very true. It certainly would give an investor pause, right? Like a new investor, they'd be like, hmm, that's interesting. Why is this existing investor not exercising this, this really beneficial option that they hold? But I, my feeling is in great companies, like all of that can be overcome. Yeah. 
And ultimately, right, like if you're a founder and you're trying, but how do I even negotiate that with my investor? You can even say, you're like, look, the way I see it is that like this, this fundraising uh, round is gonna take me to these key milestones. And then we're gonna have another conversation when it comes time for me to raise another round. Like at least I think at Funders Club, and I've seen this with like the, the deals that we've worked with that are then raising subsequent rounds, we earn our right to invest in that next round. And I don't think that there aren't that many investors that like have that hustle life mentality that like you, 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 you earn your place at the table. It's not just given to you by some provision that you put it on your term sheet. Sure. That's a really good point. I, would, I mean, I think we should extrapolate this point, uh, the super pro point, to talk about what I'll call kind of invest, early investor brinksmanship. So uh, brinksmanship was a term that was used describing like uh, the, the Cold War tactics in Cuba and, and with nuclear missiles, like uh, how close can you get to the edge be, be, without blowing each other up? Um, and like this, this happens all the time. Well, it just doesn't happen all the time, but we've seen multiple examples of early investors holding non-market terms, super pro rata, uh, uh, the, the necessity to sign. We saw an investor who did not hold any pro rata right, period. Uh, and a new round of financing was happening. And this investor said, I have to sign to make this deal happen, and I refuse to sign unless you give me Pareto rights right now, as in the next round of financing, which I've never seen anything like that before, but they essentially, to, to kind of draw back on what that means, they were threatening to blow up an entire Series A of financing if they themselves didn't get to invest more, with, with no legal right to do Made so. Made the top of the Funders Club blacklist. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened with these guys. So, so how do you, so, like, at that point, you're not really dealing with a fully rational actor because they're trying to win a short-term game. They're trying to own this little beast, like, little addition of this company at huge harm to their reputation, both the founders and investors alike. But let's say you find yourself in that situation as a founder, like, what do you do? Um, it's tricky. It's, it, there's no good answer. The best thing to do is try to sniff this out early. Always reference check your investors. Talk to other founders who have worked with them. Talk to other investors who know the ecosystem. Uh, and the second thing is try to structure your legal documents in a way where no single person can prevent a, a next round of financing. Right. So in this case, there was a little bit of a weakness in the docs early on. Again, where there wasn't full alignment, where uh, there was a possibility for a single investor to hold up the round. So it, this is a case where I think a better drafted set of documents would have allowed a majority of investors to make a decision for all of the investors and no single investor could have held up the deal. And kudos to the founder and like how he actually solved that situation. So just to like clarify exactly what happens, imagine this, right? Maybe you've raised $2 million out of like a convertible note, and then now you have a big time tier one VC wanting to give you an $8 million check and lead your series A. And then you got like that little like seed bozo investor that put in like 100K in your company saying, I'm not signing the note until you give me pro rata. And then suddenly everyone has like signed the docs and then you have one guy saying, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And suddenly an entire round can blow. Like this is the situation that we were talking about. So uh, in this in this case, I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jared, I think that what the founder did was that for the extra shares that that specific firm wanted, he actually convinced a couple of early angels to take the liquidity out. Like they just, right, like they just bought out a couple of angels and retransferred those shares out. Yep. Uh, which was good. That was a clever solution. It was yeah. a very clever solution. Uh, but imagine if you didn't have angels that were interested in, in, in going so, out. Yeah. They're like, hey, so-and-so is leading the round. I'm actually, it was going to be great for me to say that like, I'm a shareholder. And, and you know, even, you know, even, even extrapolating that even further, it's like, 
going back to your very first angel round, you need to find people who you trust and are willing to kind of stick through the thick and thin and be willing to kind of give up their shares in dilution um, for a situation like this. Yeah. The ones that are willing to go through the, the, the potential divorce. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. If I was an angel in that company, I wouldn't have sold. Yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. tough situation. Yeah. If, uh, it, it, again, like at the 11th hour, who knows what would have happened? Like maybe the investor would have folded. Like, yeah. but the nukes were closing in on Cuba, and you, you just didn't, you just didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, so, I mean, kind of taking it like, so we talked about some negative examples, but I think we should try to kind of go back high level and talk about okay, what are some great tools that you can use to put this out of your mind completely, right? Like, how do we how do we fix this before any of these things happen? Uh, what's cool about our industry so far is we've had some cool developments. Uh, in standardizing documents. I, I give a lot of kudos to Y Combinator and the safe documents that they've produced. I really think these it's, it's safe as a, um, what is it? Standard uh, agreement for future for equity. Future equity. Yeah. Thanks, Pedro. Uh-huh. So it, it allows you to exchange uh, a convertible, essentially a convertible note now that will uh, convert to equity in the future, but it has it, it just makes a lot of sense across the board on how it aligns founders and investors. Uh, the National Venture Capital Association, the American organization that manages all of the venture capitalists, or it's kind of like an industry organization of venture capitalists, has produced a standard set of equity documents that I think are really strong, and I've seen them have all the right rights. So between the YC SAFE and the NVCA, National Venture Capital Association, those two resources together will lead you pretty straight um, as as standard terms, standard aligning terms go. And if you have investors that are trying to deviate from those kind of standardized docs, it's definitely a red flag. And you should wonder why the investor's deviating from something that's pretty generally accepted that can move fast and, and, and be right. And maybe something that I've seen founders ask us before is even when they don't even know the type of like convertible security that they should use. So between the safe or like a kiss uh, or just a convertible or standard note that like your lawyers can put together yeah. or convertible securities. I've seen like all of those. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I think we've done deals in all of them. Yes. I don't think we have any strong mis- like necessarily like preference. It's just that the safe is just the most like vanilla one is extremely simple and effective and affordable as well. Yeah. And I think on the, on the YC website, they have these safe available for download. And this is something you can quickly actually just redline against whatever your investor is sending you to make sure that there aren't any added or removed terms from that safe. And to kind of uh, build upon Jared and Pedro's point of why this is important, you don't want to get into a relationship with an investor who comes in right away asking for things or changing up standard terms because that, that signals that uh, you know this investor might ask for something later on down the line, which could be you know, pretty a detrimental situation for your company. Yeah, a, a bad investor never gets better. They, they tend to only get worse over time. And then if, if you have any additional questions regarding some of the terms that we were discussing here, I uh, highly encourage you guys to take, check out our the Funders Club Educational Center. Uh, there are just a lot of different articles, content there. Just It's like a, it's a phenomenal resource for you to learn more about like some of the terms that we've used here today. Yeah, right on, right on our website, fundersclub.com. Uh, but with that, again, so tagline level takeaways for this conversation, find investors you want to align with, find legal documents that bind you together in the way that you want to align for the next round and into the future, uh, and then use those, and like, the best place to find those standard docs, again, Y Combinator Safe, uh, Pitter also mentioned the 500 Startups Kiss note, uh, Keep It Simple Stupid, which I always appreciated, and the NBCA, National Venture Capital Association, 
uh, standard equity docs for equity rounds. Uh, and with all of that, uh, please send us feedback and thoughts, tweet us, Facebook, whatever. We'd love to hear your stories, um, try to discuss more, happy to answer questions that you have as well. Or suggestions for new uh, podcasts. Please. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.